Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm. And I want to introduce some very special guests with us today. Nelly and Juno, creators of the... (laughs) (laughs) Come on. No, no, go go for it. Go to... Addies. Two Addies and a coffee, and a please. Coffee. There you go. I made it, guys. You did I it. I made it. You did it. And we're going to keep that. We're gonna my, keep mind, that. my mind is like with uh, the sunny weather today. I'm just like, I'm somewhere else right now. You know what? 70s in yeah. November? I'll take it. But anyway, thank you for guys for coming on. I am really excited to have you on. I, I want to tackle this. I'm, I'm fascinated with this subject, with what you guys have. Two Addies and a coffee. It's uh, You guys started a podcast uh, tackling mental health yeah so we've been friends for like what nine years yeah nine years and we got diagnosed with adhd and i think anxiety and bipolar disorder this year but i think we don't um, we don't have all three i have anxiety <laughs> and adhd and she has adhd and bipolar disorder but we didn't know this until this year and we didn't realize it but adhd is actually what kept our friendship for so long because we never related to other people with the struggles we were going through and we were like holy shit like and we've been interviewing people um, for a startup we wanted to do addressing mm-hmm. ADHD and what was missing in um, for a lot of people was a sense of community and like relatability with these struggles that they're going through. Everyone thinks it's part of their personality and they just kind of like let it go. But when they realize other people have such, I don't know, it's like a huge part of our identity that yeah. we thought were like. I think like when we figured out we had ADHD and we were like, holy shit, we're not special. Yeah, I think you meet a lot of other people with ADHD and it's just the same story. Like, mm-hmm. I think there is people who struggle with ADHD and they don't function well in school. So that's like classic case of ADHD, low grades, inattention, disturbance, whatever. But I think for me and Juno, we're both high functionally. We went to like specialized high schools, then we went to competitive high- colleges and I did well all my life. So I never knew I had ADHD and it also affects women differently than mm-hmm. males. So I think for a large part, we just did like, oh, I hate corporate America. I hate working. Oh, my God. OK, yeah. please don't fire me. <laughs> I, but yeah, I just like um, I just like hate being sh- stuck in a cubicle or like working for someone else. And w- we always knew like we're going to quit one day yeah. and like work for ourselves and do a startup. Um, so that's how we kind of got talking. And then we both got diagnosed at the same time because. I think you mentioned that someone in your family has ADHD and I was doing research and I was like, oh, genetic, genetic component, it's going to, you have it. And she's like, if I have it, then you have it. So, they so both what, are, what are some of these signs? Where did you start going, damn it, I, I'm, I may have this, um, you know, because mm-hmm. like you guys said, you, you didn't fall for any of the, the common case symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. Where you guys excelled <clears throat> in school, right? You mm-hmm. had good grades. You both went to specialized schools. Uh, so for the gifted and talented, I actually went to my primary care physician when I was 17 and I told her I couldn't focus and, but then like, she was like, how are your grades? I'm like, they're great. And then she's like, so where are you going to go to college? And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Berkeley. And she's like, okay, what's the problem? But I think people invalidate your experiences because of the results or the end goal that you have reached. So the struggles are all invalidated and they're like, okay, you're, you're not struggling. But I knew I had problems focusing but I think it was just like the hyperactivity combined with inattention that would get get me through school so like um I had AP biology and it was two periods instead of one and I remember always being yelled at every single day so like there was like a sophomore in my class and he was more quiet and like calm than I was and this one time I got placed in front of the class because I was just being (laughs) such a disturbance and I got banned from eating carrots it's just like small things like that and I was like yeah, like this is a problem. Hold then, on, you got banned from eating carrots? <laughs> yeah. Why? Because I was bored. So I would snap it off and just bother people. And then I would go around different corners of the classroom just, just to like fuck with the teacher. So you felt compelled to do that because of ADHD? Yeah, because I was bored and that was the only thing next to me. Right. But if there was something else, I would probably play with that too or fidget or like play with random things around me. So that was the first sign where you started going, I, this may be part of a larger issue yeah because teachers would say like there's something with you and i'm like what do you mean there's something with me and then i i also took psychology and post ap psychology in high school so we learned about these things and then i was like that sounds like me so i just did my research like outside of school so you self-diagnosed yourself yeah but then like no one really cared about it until i went to college and then I didn't want to get diagnosed because like it's going to be on my record i didn't want employers to know that i I was very aware of 
the perceptions and stereotypes about it and the stigma. So I never want to get formally diagnosed until this year. And I went to a psychiatrist and she's like, yeah, you do. And now like I do take meds for it. For me, I don't think I had as much of the hyperactivity symptoms. I do sometimes. But for me, it was like, I just thought it was like extreme procrastination. And I think that's part of what I was validated with Nelly because I, I started working early, like 19, because um, I dropped out of college. And then I remember that was when I realized like something was wrong with me because I would perform really well at work. Like I would get promoted and I would get like high performance reviews. And every, if I said I was struggling, people like rolled their eyes. They're like, mm. you. But in reality, it's because my, like, let's say my, oh, exposing myself, but <laughs> if I have like really huge projects um, due in like a month, I would start a couple of days before and people don't believe me they really don't believe me and i wouldn't sleep for several days um and i would work really really hard and the outcome is fine but like the entire month i would feel really guilty and shitty and like i think i started dating someone who was like unemployed and i was like oh this is my lifestyle because i don't do anything the whole day <laughs> and like me and nelly always related on that we're like we're so bored and everyone's like oh my god you're doing so much like how do you do all this stuff and we're like what we're do you so mean? Bored. We're doing nothing. We do nothing the whole day. And then we get into like hyper focus before then. I think I started like I organized like two meetups in Denver. I started like a data science women meetup because I had so much time. I didn't know what to do with it. And I would have to do something productive. And I had so much work, but I knew I wouldn't do it. So I just had to give myself deadlines because mm-hmm. the only thing that gets us to work is like fire on our ass. and has to be like extreme fire from external things. We're going to embarrass ourselves. I was like, OK, wow. so we need like intense pressure to do anything but when we have that pressure we enter like this like hyper focus it's called and i think like when people see it it's like almost surreal sometimes because like when we're not in hyper focus we're just like we don't we don't do anything yeah people think we're so high functional because they see us in the hyper focus and they see the result and it's good so they're like wow you guys are like so impressive and like competent and whatever but you don't see us then like the entire week where we're doing not like i'm not when i say i did nothing the we whole mean week, nothing I, people don't believe me like nothing it's like kind of like when i say i don't sleep they're like oh like three hours no zero for several days like but that might be because of my bipolar like hypomania thing but yeah i think we just had like very extreme ends and people did not understand that because like if you tell them the seriousness um the severity of the adhd they're like oh so you're not like whatever and i'm like wait, wait, wait hold up look at my resume <laughs> oh, i'm curious uh, um and, and, and fascinated at the same time as to how you can for, function that way, right? It, whereas you kind of just, it sounds to me like you have this period where you go into hibernation, <laughs> right? And you have this intense energy buildup to the point mentally, emotionally, physically. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, you need to get this done. So you kind of blitz and you just start, I guess, attacking it f- ferociously to the point where you're not even sleeping. That's That to me sounds absolutely insane. Yeah, it sounds like you get a really powerful burst of energy for that short amount of time. And I'm trying to understand from your point of view because everything's, from what you explained, it seems like when you get that hyper-focus, it's like everything slows down around you. It's Not, like, mm. you're fucked. Like, you're going to be fired. You're going to yeah. be expelled. You're going to get kicked out. You're fucked if so you don't it's, do it's, this. So it's fear that's, that's pushing you? I don't know if it's fear. It's just like an intense sense of stress. urgency. And there's some stress, but it's also fun. Yeah, it's you fun. It's very fun. creative. Okay, I had to talk to my therapist about this a lot because I was like, I always felt like I was so deceptive and i i think we have to be really 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 creative Mm. um to get shit done like i would and then uh, the outcome ends up well so people are like oh yeah like you did a really good job doing this i was like it's because i needed to finish it fucking fast so like i end up having like if i'm building a course for example like i'll be really cohesive have a really creative connected story and they're like i think they were like oh yeah this is one of the best courses blah blah blah. people should follow this and i was like huh (laughs) because i was just like i think oh go on one example i would have is for a whole semester, I didn't I didn't go to class. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. But we had this paper due. It was a final paper. And I didn't do any of the weekly assignments either. But it was like 30 pages that you had to write in total. It was due like on a Friday. And then if you didn't do it, you like it's 70% of your grade. You didn't do it. Like you're fucked. So then I would pull an all-nighter and I wrote 30 pages. And then I got an A plus in the class. And I was like, okay, cool. But I think it's like you, you can do all these things last minute. The result is so good. So like... Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a problem mm-hmm. for me or anyone like around me until like you have to go into society and be like a normal functioning person. Like I can work from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. every single day and not sleep. 
but other people are like you can't do that because I have to go to meetings and things like that. So is that a common trait uh, for people that have ADHD to uh, procrastinate until the final minute, oh, the yes. final yes. hour? Not that anyone mm. would want to admit it, but yes. Oh so, my god! <laughs> I mean, I used to procrastinate a lot to the final yeah, hour. Me too. I I don't believe I have ADHD. <laughs> I would attribute that to I just found it uncomfortable doing those things. I was not interested mm. in doing any of this. So I was just really trying to push it off as much as I can. And in the final minute, I know that I have to get it done or else, right? Or else have a bad grade or getting fired or whatever it is. There's There will be a consequence if I don't finish it, right? That will not benefit me in any way. So I hurried up and got it done. How are you able to differentiate between just being disinterested and saying this is part of a larger problem? I think the key difference is other people who are neurotypical or who don't have ADHD, they can choose to do work. I cannot choose. If, even if I wanted to write my paper, I would start two weeks like ahead and then I would go to a cafe or something, set up everything and your mind just won't let you. Mm-hmm. So you can have everything, you can choose, you want to. I will pull all-nighters for every single day for two weeks because I want to get it done, but your brain just won't let you. Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons we like we related to each other so much because when I told Nelly, like, I am in a really fucked situation. And she like she's the only person who would understand and be like, okay, you're probably really, really fucked, but I also know you got this because like we usually got this, but like you're really fu- like that. Like that, people don't really comprehend that. And I totally relate what, to what she said. It's I think the difference is like how extreme it is, and how much effort you put in. Because I would feel really like I really want to work. I like paid so much money for like a co-working space. I like tried to work with other people. I like tried to go to a cafe. I would like not do anything the entire fucking mm-hmm. day. I would not let myself do hobbies. I would not let myself do anything to actually enjoy my time because I want to work. But I just can't and my mind doesn't let me and it gets really distracted. So it's like this loop of distractions that are trivial and you never get work done and you never do stuff that you actually like, which is why we have to find productive ways of spending our time. Like we have to start a meetup. We have to start a book club. We have to like do other jobs, other work because we feel so guilty with all this time Mm -hmm. wasted anyway. And we can't do it with things we enjoy. So might as well do other work. Does that bleed into any of your, let's say something that you have a strong interest in? Does that same form of work ethic or interest applies to other things? Oh, um, or everything in your life? For example, if you're dating someone, you're gonna push <laughs> off doing something for them. Or if you are, you, you you talked about running your own business. Would you know it's something that you're obviously interested in, and and you have a high um, competency for it. So would that pro- propel you forward? to uh, stay away from that procrastination or no matter what you just can't seem to get over this and then leaving to cram everything at the end yeah i think interest is definitely the thing like the hyper focus that happens right before a deadline that's like the bad cause of hyper focus another cause of hyper focus is when you really really enjoy stuff i think i got a high in high school when i started when i was like leading a robotics team and i was also working at the startup and doing robotics competitions i didn't sleep for like six months um, but I was having like the time of my life, but like everything else goes to shit. Like I think when I go to tunnel hi- vision, yeah, yeah. Like I won't like, I think I got into hyper-focus when I started my current job. I didn't sleep. I got sick twice. I like, f- like missed the insurance window, whatever shit. It, it was really bad. Um, but that's when I feel like the most like alive. Yeah. And I think when I got that high, that's part of the reason I dropped out of college because I got that high robotics. I was like so engaged every day. I would like stay up until 3am, like planning, doing strategizing and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, so in the zone. And then I was always like, I got yeah. depressed in college because I was like, what the fuck is school? Mm. Like, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. And I think when that interest isn't there, it's miserable. But when the interest is there, like that's why we were always like, we have to have our own company. I yeah. can't be interested in anything that I don't have like creative control over and I have a vision for and that I get like really passionate about. So it's like that or nothing. You know, what? I could totally relate to everything you just said. And I don't have ADHD, <laughs> but I could totally relate and understand and 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 i actually get excited about what you just said like 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 
staying up all night into something that 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 moves you and and you have interest in and, and you feel like you just kind of want more out of it. it's like it's like a good book that you can't put mm-hmm. down da- put down or or you have something you have purpose and it, and it gets you out of bed where you don't need an alarm clock that that's incredible so i i was afraid that it would have been the opposite mm. <laughs> where where it does bleed over to things that you have a strong passion about for me if i am interested in something i can hyper focus and i'll dream about it so like for <laughs> for this podcast that we we're doing i mm-hmm. couldn't think about anything else like i would wake up in the middle of the night like 2 a.m and uh-huh. start writing and doing everything and it's just like i can't fall asleep so i would just not sleep for t- two three days and i can't think about anything else when you're interested I hyper focused on this one thing and I think in high school I used to do radiation oncology research I would skip class just to go and like work on other stuff and then we also submitted to like a bunch of competitions so over that two three weeks I didn't do anything for school or anything I was just working on the research paper submitting to competitions so you got tunnel vision too yeah wow I don't do anything so like for the best case scenario is if I'm working on a bunch of different projects. So right now I work full time, I'm writing a book, I'm doing this podcast and I'm also working for a nonprofit. Are you able to multitask? Yes. Okay. With a high fun- degree of function? Yeah. So I if I need As to- long as you're interested in all of those subject matters. Yeah. But is that is that common for everyone with H- ADHD? Not to necessarily. To be able to multitask? I th- high functional. Multitasking, I think I don't know, I can do it. Can you do it? I think like in general, when you're busy and you have a lot of different deadlines, you're more functional because you have pressure from like all the different sides. So if you have only one thing to do, it's like, oh, I could do this whenever. And time, like we don't really have a sense of time. Yeah, no. Um, so that's another thing with ADHD. Like you, a big thing is like, we can't think linearly and there's only now and not now. There isn't like, we're really bad at having a sense of time. So when you have many different obligations and there's like a schedule, this deadline here, this deadline, then it's like a lot more structured. And you're like, oh, this is my party now. This is my party now. So like, even when we were in school, like if I did a lot of different activities and jobs and stuff, um, and I have this window of time for homework or this window of time to study for a test and this window of time, like right, and like my ass is on the line, I'm much more able to get stuff done um, just because of that structure. I hear a common theme here. And to me, as I'm listening to you guys, I'm going, this is a lot of fucking anxiety. Oh, I, oh, I have a lot of anxiety. Am, am I wrong about that, or is <laughs> that's that a coping mechanism? Are, are are you having like anxiety twenty four seven? Um, I think I do, but I think anxiety is a coping mechanism for ADHD, and I think that's because I think well, you don't have AD, like anxiety, right? So then, if you miss a deadline, you're like, oh, okay. But then for me, if I miss a deadline, it, I my whole body will break out in hives. I get migraines and I start shaking and sweating. But inside that, I need that to deliver or like meet the deadline. But it's also not a sustainable way to live life. But then like all throughout high school, I basically had an unhealthy life, but I just didn't know. So I just pulled all nighters like two, three times a week. And then I would just perform really well. But then, okay, well, this one example, I was applying for college, like the Common App. (laughs) I didn't write my essay until 9 p.m. And it was due at 12 a.m. Mm-hmm. and then <laughs> I, I just wrote it like in two hours wow, and like you're really living on the edge yeah and then um for <laughs> applying to UC schools um I actually missed the deadline well because it's 3 a.m. in east coast time but 12 in west coast time so I was like that's fine I'm gonna take a nap at one wake up at two write my essay and then submit at like 2:59 or whatever and then I like wow. slept until 3 30 a.m. and I'm like fuck well I guess I'm not going to go to school and then they extended the deadline and I was like okay cool I'll apply and then I waited again at like one I'm taking a nap I'll wake up and then I like wrote my essay and there's like two essays you have to write but then the second one I was like midway done and I was like that's fine whatever let's just submit it now because like I didn't have time to finish the essay mm-hmm. and I, I thought I was like it's fine and then well I got in so I was like chill I'm glad that worked out for you <laughs> That type of anxiety is real. I think mm-hmm. that's justified, right? Uh, this is, uh, it's it's like a, there is a boogeyman if something, like if you, there is a consequence to mm-hmm. it. But I'm talking about uh, the type of anxiety where, uh, you know, fight or flight, but there's no one to fight mm-hmm. and there's nowhere to flight, right? Do you get that? Yes. Where it's really just your imagination yes. hyping everything up. I think... Well, I have experienced anxiety. I have also experienced panic attacks and I also have insomnia. So when those three combinations align, I am just like mostly dysfunctional, but like no one can tell on the outside because you are 
calm and collected and I can still go to work and do my job. I still can go to school, but then I need, like if I'm having a panic attack at work, I'm not going to tell anyone, everyone like, hey, going crazy here. <laughs> I'm just going to go to the bathroom and like, I don't right. know, like hyperventilate or whatever for like 10 minutes and then come back out. And then I, I have a lot of meetings for work. So I know my deadlines for certain things and I can compose myself really well. But then I think you still feel those emotions, but it's how you choose to behave and the actions that you take to prevent yourself from, I guess, like feeling like the- From letting it overwhelm you. Yeah. Do you feel that way too? I don't have anxiety. I think I'm like the opposite extreme. Um, I think it's part of like my emotional attachment because of childhood trauma. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I get really stressed right before death. I have bipolar disorder. That definitely mm-hmm. is affected by ADHD, and especially because I didn't know because one of the triggers for hypomanic episodes, um, like going crazy, I guess, <laughs> is no sleep. So it was like this bad cycle where like I would have a deadline, so I would not sleep for several days. Then I would go manic, like hypomanic, and then I would get really depressed. So it was like this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... I generally am like unusually calm, like more than other people, I think, Um, even in like really, really shitty situations. And I feel like that's one of the things I get nervous about um, with like the deadlines, because part of that trigger for getting you to work and hyper focus is like pressure. But now I'm just like so chill under. I think you do this, too, now. But I always feel like that window of time where I get pressure gets like smaller and smaller Mm. because I'm just like, eh, whatever. You deal with it differently. You're more on cruise control. You're on chill mode until you stay up for several nights and then the bipolar kicks in mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when the bipolar kicks in what what part of you is that i think i'm very productive when i'm in a hypomanic it, it depends i like I, are you are you toxic like for example you're in total chill mode right that's the person driving and then when you go into your bipolar stage like who who's taking you know when you're going through your jekyll and hyde who's who's that other person okay this is very confusing to me because i think since I've been home, I've been sleeping really well. And that's the only, this year is when I realized I had bipolar disorder. And when I look back now, like, oh, I, I pulled all-nighters for four days in a row and was energized. That's not normal. That was probably a hypomanic after talking to my psychiatrist. Um, but at the time, I didn't know. I thought it was just me. But I think I become very, very, like, overconfident. I think I'm, like, invincible and I do a lot of crazy shit. I don't know. It's, sometimes it's productive. But when I was in San Francisco... Um, towards the end of last year, that was really, really bad. But like, I would still be conducting interviews for work, for example, um, in between like doing crazy shit and like, going out and stuff. Um, I forgot what the question was. Like, well, <laughs> you said you're you're hot and cold, right? Bipolar. Oh. You, one minute you can, you know, feel very hot. One minute you can feel very cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I I take it as one minute you're this person, and then due to a lack of sleep mm-hmm. you turn into something else yeah and i'm curious so the normal you that that's uh has enough sleep all that you that's the chill mode mm-hmm. so what happened what's the other vibe what's the jekyll and hyde what's the other side of of that there is it like mm-hmm. angry or is oh. it uh very toxic is it uh lashing out at everyone Hmm. because it's usually polar opposites it's a extreme it's right? an extreme like you're either really chill so i would say if you had the opposite of that it would be where you're lashing out at someone you're not so chill i'm not necessarily like an angry or i don't know if toxic is the right word but there are definitely people in san francisco who think i'm like super 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 hype like energized like party person and mm. i'm like whoa that's not me and i think i met people like when i was off and i was like whoa your impression of me is so different and i was just like i get like really, really excited have like no boundaries whatsoever with strangers and i just like make friends with everyone and i'm like super super loud super friendly and i'm like so mm. excited to talk to anyone like i enter a room I'm, like who's gonna talk with me i need to make an announcement and i just want to be have attention and i think i was gonna like run the world with like a fashion company and i get like these mm. grandiose ideas and i have i've become like very mission oriented and i feel like i have this like greater purpose mm-hmm. and i think like i freaked out nelly because i was like i just I thought want- you were high and you were drunk <laughs> no i was like this was like me when i was not high and i was getting i was like i want a tattoo the next day i was like i'm gonna so you turn into kanye west <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Do you want to start your own fashion company? You want to talk to everybody? Get to know everyone? You're making your first album. When you are really high functional and really ambitious, when you said all those things to me, it's not impossible Mm -hmm. because you can do it. But I think like the difference is like for a lot of like startup founders, they're a little like 
not the norm or like they're not mm-hmm. average people right you have to have this mindset that you can change the world mm-hmm. but the key difference is if they do society says like oh, okay well you did it so then you're normal or like you're not crazy or whatever the, the term is but i think it's when you don't accomplish those people are like oh yeah you're delusional like you think you can change the world and things like that but i think like the founders of airbnb uber they set out this like grand mission of like interrupting the industry's status quo and i think that's like the key difference is like what society deems as normal versus not normal you're based on like right. your accomplishments absolutely right uh you know you ever hear that saying that the line is very thin between genius and madness mm-hmm. so you're absolutely right i i think a you know you can even take that down i think that's just normal human behavior for the mm-hmm. most part you can even take that down a few notches and say hey Talk, tell your friends and your family you're starting a podcast, uh, right? They're gonna think you're crazy. They're gonna say, mm-hmm. like, just do something against the grain. Anything, mm-hmm. they're gonna think you're crazy. But then if you succeed at it, they're gonna say you're a genius. Yeah. Me in college. Okay, when I, I decided to drop out of college, I think in one day it was very very impulsive. I I knew I wanted to get out of college, but I didn't really find until I found out about this data science boot camp, and I decided like that day I got so much shit. I think people like lectured me From about. Who? Um, the person who I thought I was like my mentor, I guess, like that I worked with a lot, my friends, my family, like everyone. Everybody close to you. Yeah, they were in just your like, circle. That's yeah. so hard. Well, I was like, hell yeah, let's go. Like, yeah. <laughs> but everyone, can I pick a piece out too? <laughs> yeah. I think everyone thought I was being super naive and they're like, they were like showing things like stats in my face and stuff. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you need a degree. Like, what are you going to do? And then after I got my first job and I was doing well, like good salary and everything, and I was in tech. And I think from there, my career went really well. So people just, now they're like, oh my God, like, wow, you're so, br- oh, who needs college these days? I don't know, everyone's like that. Even when I cut my hair, like, and I told people I'm getting a pixie cut, they're like, are you sure? Like, are you okay? Like, mm, what's wrong with you? But then when, after I got like, oh yeah, you have to do that in your 20s. Like every time something turns out well, <laughs> people are like, oh my God. Like, they validate it. Yeah, and they're like, oh yeah, that's my opinion too. And I'm like, fuck mm-hmm. you. This <laughs> seems to be a pattern. Anything that's against the grain that you do seems to be a success. So you should continue yeah. to do what you're doing. <laughs> don't listen to anyone else. <laughs> You know, that's great that, that you, uh, in the face of adversity and uh, very little support from people within your circle, you're still able to conquer mm. and and say, you know what, fuck that. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to learn. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it takes a lot of guts too to do something that no one else has done that you haven't seen done. You so know, done it, it, are you able to do that because you believe in... Like you believe in whatever you're trying to do so much that you're you, you don't need the, their validation at that point, or you, you just go, you know what? No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You there's, or or is this something else? I feel like I you know kind of like the hyper focus that we talked about right before deadlines. I think similarly, when you start like you latch onto an idea or something that you really want, you can obsess over it. And I think like when I dropped out of college, like nobody could change my mind. I was like already super, super into it. And I feel like, yeah. And I think the big thing is like I have, a, I think both of us have like a lot of, um, we really believe in our potential. Like it, we're we might, confident. We have high self-esteem. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like borderline narcissistic. That's awesome. Like, yeah. And I, I feel like when I was younger, I was like, I know I'm going to change the world. I, I know, whatever. I, I'm a little more realistic now, but I think like I really, really believe in my potential. And if people tell me I can't do it, I want to do it more. And I love proving people wrong. Mm. <laughs> I think it's like a, also a combination of, well, when I was young, I was always like, oh, you're in like, you're like gifted and talented. So like you, I got into like a specialized middle school, then a specialized high school and specialized or like a competitive college. So you have those things to back you up. So those are like my statistics or evidence that I can prove. And then like, I don't necessarily think like those text test exams or your scores necessarily define your intelligence, but it does say something to society that you aren't like just crazy and delusional. And I think like a big portion of what validated me was when I did like research in high school. No one really expects like when you're 15, 16 to be doing research for cancer. And then you like win first place in New York and then you go to like, um, like finals for like the world. And you're like, okay, cool. Like I am competent and it doesn't matter what the world says to me. So it doesn't matter if you're a minority, how young you are, whether you're like a female, like you don't necessarily need to listen to anyone else. And I think you just defy 
the expectations that people put for you or like, oh, you can't do this because you're at this identity or you're at this identity or you can't, you can't do that. And I think, okay, like growing up in an Asian household, everyone's like, oh yeah, you're female, you can't do this and this. So I just like had this fire or like this anger towards like, people's expectations and limits that you that they of put what on you're you. supposed to be yeah. what they their ideal of this little neat little silo that they want to place <laughs> you in and you know that's not you that's not the outfit that you were born to wear <laughs> I, I totally feel that frustration as well and i am so happy to hear that two asian women in their early 20s <laughs> Uh, are standing up against that and you guys are are paving a way for yourself mm-hmm. through that I, I think that takes tremendous courage and confidence and a lot of the times when we try to move in this direction especially if you have traditional parents which mm. yes. yes do we talked about that <laughs> earlier uh, you can expect zero to very little support uh, while you're going through the journey and to continue on that path um, without that love that you want and that acceptance of obviously we want to make our family proud um, and just being true to yourself. I mean, I think people listening, I, I hope they could take something from that. I, I, I think I did that a little too late where I, I, I wish, and a lot of people that I know as well, where we did things because that's what our parents wanted. We wanted to make them happy. They wanted us to go to school. They wanted us to become doctors, lawyers. They had this whole life map checklist for us to do, even if we didn't want that life. And now they're at this age where they're miserable. They're miserable. They're in that cubicle. They're you, but in a cubicle. Mm-hmm. And they have so much time invested in it that they can't really move out of that now. Like it's very challenging to make a living to, to, to just go and start all over again. And also it fucks with their identity at that mm-hmm. point. Like who am I really? So that's why they get this midlife crisis. Exactly. They'll, they'll wake up one day and they go, Oh, what the fuck? They'll, they'll get the shakes and they'll go, Whoa. they'll look at their life none of their dreams are accomplished. Their parents' dreams are accomplished. You gave them the kids, mm-hmm. you gave them the job, you did, but none of that made you, none of that fulfilled you. And you lived the life that they wanted, but not true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's such a, a shitty way to one day wake up realizing that when it's too late to do anything about it. Or you think it's too late to do mm-hmm. anything about it. That's a tough reality. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, like growing up with immigrant parents, like you're, for me, it was definitely, all right, go to school, then make a lot of money, you know, and that didn't happen. Like, I defied my parents. I was like, fuck that. I'm going to go to film school. I'm going to I'm gonna learn how to make films. And then when I got, got out, it was like, oh, shit, was the, how am I going to get a job? You know, <laughs> how am I going to make money? And that's, that was scary. So, I mean, like, I, I thought, like, if I just listened to my parents. So th- that's where the, the uncertainty came in, right? And the, I, don't, I didn't have the confidence. But it's just amazing to me to hear that even though, you know, you, grew up, you guys grew up in a traditional household and you guys didn't follow that mindset and it's just like, fuck that, you know? I'll, I'll keep going, I'll keep following what, I, what I'm believing that I'm doing is, is right. That's, that's, that's amazing. But how, I mean, like, how did you kind of get out of that stru- that kind of thinking like in that in that traditional mindset i feel like um maybe this i think this is partially related to adhd but i sometimes feel like we didn't really have a choice because our thresholds <laughs> for being interested in something like like is really really high so we're bored all the time so i feel like when people are having quarter life crisis i feel like we do that regularly because yep. <laughs> we're so bored of everything and it's like unbearably bored with what the work we're doing and it makes us like question a lot, like how do I want to be spending my time? What will I do? What can I do that will make me feel fulfilled and happy and actually want to work? So we're like constantly having this question in our heads. It's either that or being super stressed. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the reason. It's We're kind of like forced to do it, I think. Yeah, I think for me, I also have anxiety and ADHD. So it's not really a choice of how I control my thoughts. I just think about it. And I think about death a lot. 
So when people say, "Oh, I live like every day, like I'm gonna die," I really do. I think about my, <laughs> like mortality, um, death. I think for a year and a half in college, all I could think about was dying and how I wanted to live my life. So I read a lot of philosophy, a lot of books, a lot of psychology. I just deep dived into it, and there was like this Harvard study done of um, Harvard students, and then a bunch of like low-income students. So like you understand the two. Um, classes, so one who's rich and educated, and one who is poor and not educated, and they don't have like a silver spoon in their mouth. And at the, they did this longitudinal study, and at the end, when they're on their deathbed, what was important was like their family and relationships. And if you have people you love around you, it, you perceive pain as physical pain as less painful. So for me, just thinking about the life I want to live, I don't want to live it for someone else. If I'm gonna die like tomorrow, or whatever, and it's just unbearably. You want it on your painful. terms, yeah. Now I do have a question with that study. Uh, you said with those uh, two different classes, mm-hmm. obviously uh, two different social dynamics, but the common denominator here was at the end. Did mm-hmm. they have the same conclusion? Was what they deemed important how they want to live their life? Yeah, I think it was done or asking them um, like in sections of time throughout their life, like. Are you happy? Like just things like that, or like where you are, your job success. If people who had a lot of money when they died, are they like, do they regret anything, or are they happy? Did they live a more fulfilled life? Yeah. And, and what was, was the answer to that? It was relationships and whether you had friends and family who love you. Like the relish relationships are things that people regret the most. And another um, like thing I found was that people regret not doing something than doing something. So, like, if we were not to do this podcast, you would regret not doing it more than actually doing it. Mm. I pick choices based on least regret. That's an interesting way to live life because most people would choose choices to stay away from fear. Yeah. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. that's another thing. I took a philosophy course. and I, I hate being controlled by other people, but you are inherently brainwashed by society, by the norms that they set for you. So I like to challenge social norms and question everything. So a lot of things that I do, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then you get to this two things where it's like you either are doing things because you're afraid and that's fear driving your actions or because you feel compelled and it's like that compulsion of doing something because of the way that you're trained to think and act and I don't want to be controlled by other people so I think about why I do certain things and then if I can find out the root cause and if I agree with it I'll do it if I don't then I'm not going to do it that's extremely analytical yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you ever do you ever just move out of instinct I, don't, I feel like I have no instinct. I just am very logical. So I act according to the rules that I set for myself. So it's action uh, over inaction because of least regret. And then you pick the one that is going to be the action of least regret. Mm-hmm. And then the values that I have is relationships, family, friends over money, success, like things that you can't really bring with you when you die. So like those are the guiding principles of how I live my life. And if I don't care about, if I'm not going to regret this in five years, or I don't really care about this person's feelings, I, I don't really care. I'm just going to say what I have to say or do what I need to do because like my time is valuable and I don't have time for people who are like worry about trivial things. And is this all in like calculation in your head? Yeah. Because I feel like if I'm doing something like a big decision, it's like a pro and con list. Like I have to like mark it down and then make sure that, okay, this is definitely something that I can tangibly see and record and then, then I'll make a, a decision off that, I guess for normal people, like regular people, I don't want to say normal <laughs> people, just regular people, like, you know, I don't have a superpower. I th- by, by the way, I think the hyper focus is like a superpower. You know what, I've, I've, I think we've all done a pro and con list once or twice in our lives. Yeah, definitely. But what I will say about the pro and con list that that shit does not work for me and I don't know why. I have done that list exhaustedly for several key decisions where I felt like I was, in, I was stuck in a fork in the road. And there were two outcomes that pushed me. Either I stayed away uh, because it was just so much friction, that path, where it was too much uncertainty. And I went the safe route, admittingly. Or I just, I have done lists where the con was just endless. It was just, oh, but this can happen, where I got extremely analytical and I just listed all the cons and just the stack of fear here. Mm. But, and my pro was maybe, my pro list was, and this is fascinating, was my pro list was maybe one or two items. 
and I ended up choosing the Pro because those one or two items weighed more than mm -hmm. all of that other. So I, I, I'm like, why the hell did I do that for? I could just listen to my heart. I wasted all this time <laughs> overanalyzing something. So now I move through instinct. Mm -hmm. It just, I have a different way where like, I could totally like get the overanalyzing. Like a gut feeling? It, it, it is fascinating how our mind gears us to work and how much our emotion plays into that and how much time we it's at a conflict between our motion and my it's almost like two different people living within mm -hmm. us and the logic side is always trying to control the emotional side like hey let's think about this for a second before we go off the rails before we jump on that car or before we make this big decision to move to this big city um with h adhd is that conflict easier or do you find it more challenging i think we're on opposite extremes there um i think like she's very analytical and like will think out everything i'm like extremely impulsive i don't do the pro and cons list i think ever <laughs> i decided to drop out of college in one day i decided to move to san francisco in one day i decided to move again in one day like i decided to move like it's very very rapid for me and if i decide to do it and i see a path i'll just create that path for myself and i have so much i don't know if it's naive but so much confidence that i can figure anything out that's like I'll make a decision. Why not? Like there are so many different permutations on like how I could live my life. They're all fine. I mean, they're not all fine. I want to do the stuff that I want to do, but I think we were talking about this the other day. I don't know why I have such a high risk tolerance. I also have a really high pain tolerance. Maybe they're related. And I also, maybe it's related to me being detached from my emotions. Um, but I don't really worry that much. And I sometimes feel like insecure about that almost like, why don't I worry more i worry for you so you feel insecure about not feeling insecure i <laughs> I, I think it's because like okay. i just want to no no, no I, somehow that sort of makes sense to me yeah you know, is it, but did i extrapolate that mm -hmm. is that fair or i think so because i almost have to pretend like i am considering these things or like that i really really care I, and i do it's just like my emotions are so chill a lot of the time and i just think objectively like what can i do here Okay, what can I do if like everything goes to shit? If I lost my entire family, if I lost like, oh, that's a very extreme. <laughs> but I, I actually think because I get depressed often. So when I'm depressed, I like think about these things. And I also multiple times thought like if all of my family and friends and everyone dropped dead and I was like put into a new city, yeah, I could figure it out. I don't have any money. I could figure it out. So I feel like I'm very detached from things. Like I have a lot of trouble developing like attaching to any people or like places or things i'm not nostalgic at all do you feel like do you feel like you can empathize with other people um or are you also detached from other people's feelings there are like some feelings i can feel so i can relate to them but it's i have to really think about certain things um like really imagine like try hard to imagine things to relate to, to some someone people. Else. like especially I don't know if this is related, but like love and stuff. Yeah, I, that's cool. You I, say love and stuff like it's so taboo. <laughs> You're afraid of love. Look at your body. Like, no. oh, that body language has told me like your little... Well, You've experienced I'm, butterflies before? There's, there's some... Uh, um, hmm. No, what, what is it about love that, that makes you uh, hesitant? I, this sounds so stupid. Or taboo. I know it's stupid now, but I didn't realize I can love someone until this year that I loved my mom. I didn't like really feel that until this year. For your mom? Yeah, and I think- Can you explain that? Hmm, because I was always very confused that I didn't care if people were in my life or not. Mm -hmm. I think this is part of like, if you heard of attachment theory, like dismissive avoidant attachment. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's because like my dad passed away when I was younger and I guess, and it was a very, very slow process over like five or six years. So I didn't How realize- How old were you when your dad passed? I think 10, but I oh, didn't find wow. out until two, like, I didn't find out until many years later that he passed away. He just disappeared. Um, so So your parents or your mom didn't share that with you? Well, she didn't know either. Like we all found out like because he went, he left to Korea and okay. then we called a little bit. We called over a year. I did not like my memories were really warped and I didn't find this out until this year. Like my perception of what happened were so different. And it, I was like, so, and when I found out he died, I was, I like, cried for a few minutes because i was like awkward i was like am i supposed to react a certain way and i was like oh my grandma and my mom are watching me so i would cry so you were unsure on how to respond to that news yes and i always thought like oh if my dad so you back, thought about what was the correct yeah oh wow and like i was always insecure about him coming back and not caring because i was like I, I didn't know what the proper way to react was because i didn't have any attachment to him so i think in general when I was in Denver too, like I wouldn't really call my mom that much. Um, she would always call me first. I have trouble keeping friends. 
not because me. <laughs> no because um I, I don't have trouble making friends and people think I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of like friends I guess like acquaintances and stuff but I think the people who stayed close to me now were the people who like reached out to me or got mad at me for not reaching out. I don't know. It's, I have very few friends, like very few close friends. And I think it's only until this year that I realized that I do need friends and it's very helpful. But I grew up thinking like several times, like, oh, I wish everyone I knew just disappeared. Like so, it, life would be so much easier if I was alone. So how did you realize that you love your mom this year? What was that? What was that breaking moment for you? I always like ask people like, what does it feel like to love someone? Like, what does it feel like to miss someone or like attached to someone or like care about them? And I think I saw Oh, I'm exposing myself, but I didn't feel certain things that I thought I was supposed to feel in like previous relationships. Um, and but I would see the way they saw me and like treat me. And when I like this year, when I was with my mom, I was like, holy shit, like I see what they were doing now. Like I want to do nice things for you. It makes me happy, like giving you, I don't know, a massage or something or making you happy. I get like concerned if you're upset or like what i don't know this sounds like really basic shit but i didn't feel these things before and i didn't really feel like this like i don't know it's like you're like attached like tied to the other person uh, in yeah, some yeah, way. i but, totally get it um and i really had this like deep desire to make her happy or be happy and i yeah i don't know because i think i spent like five years away from home and during that time I think I had this like repressed guilt maybe because I was living in this sort of luxury apartment. My family's not that well off. I was always going to different places and cities and stuff. I was making a lot of money more than like triple people in my family. And it's just like, there was this huge disconnect and I was kind of like, oh yeah, I'm alone, whatever. But um, I didn't realize until I came home, like how much guilt has built up and how much I do care about my family um, and how much I want I'm a I I'm actually a really big family person. I didn't realize you I are. Want, yeah, like big big family person. Like I want to live with my family forever. I think most of us realize that at a later age too, though. Mm. I, I don't think that's unusual. Um, for example, I I couldn't appreciate my parents and what they did for me until I became a parent myself. I was like, holy yeah. crap! Yeah. This is what they tried to do for me. This is what they sacrificed. This is what I'm doing for my kids, and I'm going. Oh my gosh, I remember it, it kind of replays some of these gaps that I have mm. as a child. And, and I'm like, this, my mom and dad did that for me. Mm. Oh, this is what you felt? Wow. And, and I, I appreciate them so much more. And at the same time, I feel so much more guilty. Like, I'm like, this is, I, I can't believe I put them through so much. Right. And, and, and it just makes me appreciate them um, that much more for dealing with me and, and still loving me through all, all of that. And I think sometimes we just, <clears throat> as kids, or when we're younger, we just don't have that maturity or that understanding. We don't, we don't have that capacity yet for whatever reason. And later on in life, and I think you found that at a pretty young age, everything considered, uh, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, now, do you think that can blossom into something that's out of your family, into a relationship? I think so. I think it'll be really difficult. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. I actually remembered as you were talking, like what really made me realize I loved her. It was like sadness. Um, I think I had a dream of her passing away or, oh, I know. I was trying to like do this like mindfulness exercise and it was something like visualizing things that would happen to you and it would make you more grateful. And everything listed, like there was ones like, that's when I realized like if I lost my home, imagine going blind, imagine doing this. And I was so like indifferent to a lot of things and I was like, oh, this is not helping me because I feel like I could get myself back up. But the one where it was like, you'd be blind. I was like, if I was blind, that'd be chill. But then I wouldn't be able to work. Oh, but then my mom would like, I was visualizing me like use the cane trying to go to the kitchen or something. And my mom would be really sad and that made me really sad. And I also pictured my mom dying and that made me sad. And I was like, holy shit, I'm sad about someone disappearing because I couldn't give her the life I wanted to give her. And that's when I really realized that I loved her. And it made you grateful for everything that you have. Yeah. Made you grateful for being able to see. <laughs> yep. And grateful for having your mommy. That is interesting. <laughs> or even like, oh shoot, that yeah. makes me I, I love right. I love you. I never had to imagine it, but I am grateful because I know that it's finite. Nothing's forever. Mm -hmm. That's what makes me appreciate something, is because I'm in the moment, I'm going, damn it, everything's fleeting. Mm -hmm. This moment's gonna leave me soon. I'm gonna hold on to this. I'm you know, just like, for example, like I know a lot of parents these days before before I even became a parent. I mean, we were talking about parenthood earlier. <laughs> you guys were very interested in it, um, in that subject, not becoming a parent. But um, 
And I remember when I was there at your stage before I was a, a parent, I, a lot of people told me, Will, take photos and videos because they grow. You blink one day and they're full-blown adults. Mm-hmm. And that made me go, oh, shit, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> and one minute they're I'm holding them in my arms. The next minute they don't want me holding them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, no, daddy, just put me in. Only when we're alone, they're like, all right, but outside if I'm <laughs> like, you know, they you get embarrassed. They're embarrassed. I'm, I'm not cool anymore like that. It's not, it's even, it's it's not even the teenage years yet. You know? It's not even, it, you know, it, just, it totally trips me out. And, and I'm like, damn it. I'm taking out my phone and I'm recording. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to hold on to whatever that innocence is, that cuteness, that that beauty about them. I think um, that was one of the things that I thought about a lot when I was depressed in Denver because um, I was trying to figure out the meaning of my life and I was um, losing, like when I'm depressed, I'm more hopeless. And with all of my, I think the expectations we have of ourselves is really, really high. And when I, we were talking about how when we read about issues and stuff, we're like, okay, how are we going to fix this? How am I going to make an impact here? But I think when I was depressed, I really wanted to do all these things, but because I felt like I couldn't, I felt really, really depressed. And the thing that made me feel like I had any meaning in my life was that I was going to have kids and then my kids would be leaders and I would go <laughs> groom them to be leaders. And like, so you want kids because we never actually crossed that bridge. <laughs> you guys were really more interested on Us. our take on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, Norma, how many kids do you want? And like five. Oh, it's like, damn, that's five. That's a lot. So, so how about so you obviously want kids. I go back and forth. Back then it was mostly just like, oh, I guess the meaning of my life is having kids. I'll wait until then. Okay. Um, I, I probably will have kids. I think family is really important. Um, Nelly, do you want to? I know you have some feelings um, on this. <laughs> I have many conflicting feelings about parenthood and having kids because I think, in my opinion, I think some people should not ever be parents. And I think agreed. Yeah, that, yeah it's like a hot take, but some it's like people. That's not a hot take. Oh. Shoot, I totally. I think there's so many people. Look, I look, and I'm sorry to butt in, but I. <laughs> Look at so many people who don't want to have kids Mm -hmm. end up having kids. And there's so many other people that I know that are trying so darn hard Mm -hmm. to have children for years unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. And that breaks my heart because I know that they're going to be phenomenal Mm -hmm. parents. They're such a great couple. They're loving. They're giving. They have all of the resources and the tools. And they lived enough of a life to really teach the kids. And they can't have kids. Mm. It just blows my mind. It's, It's so cruel sometimes mm-hmm. and unfair so i don't think it, it's off base to say some people aren't fit to become parents mm-hmm. i think some people can't even take care of themselves yeah. and i have friends that admit that like hey i am way too selfish to have a kid mm-hmm. i could barely take care of myself i'm still into partying i'm still into everything else mm-hmm. um that's about me I think like a lot of people feel the need to have a kid because it's what society expects of them, like their parents, other people, and that there's something wrong with them if they don't get married and if they don't have kids at a specific age. And I think that's you're just making choices not because you want to, but you are making them because other people want you to or expect you to. And in that case, the consequence is 18 years and and plus like that, that like financially emotionally psychologically like that changes your entire life and i think people need more forethought in terms of deciding whether or not to have kids and a lot of people don't think that so i consider like why i want kids is it because i'm lonely is it because i think they need to support me when i'm old or things like that and i want to be at a point in my life where i don't want a kid because i think they owe me anything or they like I I'm having you because like, oh, then you'll take care of me when I'm older. I don't want to die alone because that's not good reasons to have kids. But you should bring a kid into the world and into life when you can give them love and you're full and be selfless and put them first. And if you can't do that, I feel like don't have kids. I think you nailed it right there. Um, and I can't tell you how many Asian parents uh, look at their kids as investments. Mm. And boy, did a lot of the investments turn out to shit. <laughs> I mean, they they end up they end up, and it's 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 I'm telling you the world it's 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 weird. You know, it's it's cruel sometimes. It doesn't end up the way you planned it. Uh, when they come into this country, they think you know their culture when they came in here to think have as many kids because that's a sign of wealth. Mm-hmm. And um, when and that your the idea is to have your kids, and eventually one of them is going to take care of your ass when you're mm-hmm. old. And I've seen old Chinese ladies, Asian ladies out in Chinatown collecting cans 
their grandmas, mm -hmm. grandpas. They're out there digging through garbage, um, you know, because they don't beg. They just find other ways to, um, I guess, get some stream of revenues. Uh, and um, I ended up talking to two of them before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, was, I was just curious if they, like, just lived a lonely life. But no, they have kids, mm -hmm. several kids. Wow. And they told me that the kids are adults. Um, they have a fine relationship with their kids, mm -hmm. but... Um, their kids are more uh, detached ever since they had their own family and they just kind of leave their parents up to their own devices. They, I guess they have to take care of the immediate family now, their, their wife, their, or their husband and, and their children, and they just don't have enough to go around. And, um, and also I have a few friends that decided, and this is, and this is the, one of the most fearful things with Asian parents in general they are terrified of being put in a home. Mm. Oh yeah, my family. My mom always tells me there's like, your ass better not to put me in a home. That's the worst thing you can do to me. Mm -hmm. And and I think most Asian parents, like, cause when I talk to my friends' moms, when I'm over for dinner and I ask them about this stuff and it's just like, hell no, man, you put my ass in a home, you guys can stop <laughs> eating this food right now, you know? Uh, that, that's a fear that they all share. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be put in a home, but I know that some of, uh, their worst fears has come true. Mm. And when I went to go, actually, I have an uncle. Um, I'm not close to him at all. He wasn't around during my childhood. And uh, he has his own family, but his kids don't see him. They put him in home. I went to visit him because uh, he has some mental issues now. Where he goes in and out of reality where mm -hmm. he's, he knows, well, he's conscious and he remembers me. And then all of a sudden, he's like, who the hell? He's, he's like a goldfish, right? So I went to go see him, my mom's brother. And yeah, it was just, it was sad. He's mm -hmm. he's looking at a little TV, about I don't know eight inches, and he just spaced out. He's talking to me, and when he looks at me, he looks past me. Mm -hmm. It's the strangest mm -hmm. thing. And he has kids. He has three kids, my cousins, and uh, yeah, they don't go see him. Oh, that's and sad. his wife is still alive, and she doesn't go see him. They put his ass in a home once he got. Um, I guess part of his mental wasn't right. His health uh, deteriorating due to several years of heavy drinking. But yeah, it's it, it's it's things. So it's, it's weird the way things work. What occurred to give you that type of awareness? I in just your think life? a lot. <laughs> it, it was not like experience, something you experienced in the past. It's more of like um, the way you think, you, the way you think, yeah. the way you approach the world. I think it's just the way that I think and the way I perceive the world. So like. If I'm walking down a street, I'm not just walking down the street. I am aware of everything. So you see a homeless person and I'm like, why are they there? What's their backstory? I'm like very curious. I just, I would want to talk to them. And I think about like how they got here. Cause some, a lot of them don't speak English. So I'm like, you probably came from a different country. When, where, like, what was that process? What job did you do? Like, where are your kids? If you have kids, if you have a husband or a wife or like, how are you here? And then I also think about how that connects to like larger systemic issues of like racism, sexism, like capitalism is like the root of all evil and basically everything and then you like keep continue walking i see a kid i'm like oh okay like where did that kid come from like are they gonna go here like college is expensive are they gonna go to college like it's just like all these thoughts and then i see I, I like i enjoy people watching so just like observing how people behave act their attitudes and I also read a lot so i think it's just like a combination of everything and questioning why i think the things i do, think why i do the things i do and why i behave certain things or certain ways and then you can identify like everything wrong with a person now ties it back to childhood so i'm just like it's really easy to fuck up a kid and if you have the capabilities to not produce any more fucked up people into the world mm -hmm. then take that as initiative like if you are not okay don't have a kid but if you are in that mental space where you can give love to a child then do so and i think a lot of pain and suffering in this world would not cease to or would cease to exist to some extent if people were more empathetic compassionate and just like aware right. of themselves it's the programming that they're putting in them uh i don't think that's the intention all the time mm -hmm. i think in some forms it can be toxic especially in it in a high expectation household where they want you to be a star baseball player a star basketball player a star student and somehow you're not built like that. That mm -hmm. just doesn't, that doesn't really make you jive. It, there's no passion in it. It doesn't. There's no movement there. 
and I think continue to push a child saying, no, 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 you just have your without seeing what your child for what he or she really is, but continuing to push that, that that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a good parent, mm. even if you're a good parent, you can fuck the kid up in that way. Mm. Right. I've seen so many kids like that in, in sports and where they were just forced to do things. And when they became an adult, they completely abandoned ship mm. completely and did the did did the opposite of what their parents ever wanted because that wasn't a life for them. And it all goes back to uh, being true to yourself. Mm-hmm.